Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, I know we've uh, both got some storms going on in the background, so I'll go ahead and apologize in advance if you guys hear any thunder, lightning, a little bit of rain. Uh, hopefully we don't lose power. Uh, if we do, well, uh, you won't hear this version of the show. So, uh, Blake, I wanted to talk about a, a topic that's uh, pretty big right now, just in terms of where we're at in the calendar, in terms of the football program and all that. Strength and conditioning. Um, you know, We've been watching on social media, kind of looking the last few days as Florida has cranked out a bunch of these strength and conditioning videos, you know, showing the guys working out in this offseason program. And obviously this isn't the, you know, the big strength and conditioning time of year. Once once they get past the spring, then they really get into their kind of eight-week summer program. Um, but this winter period is a, is a point in the calendar where a lot of things can happen in a positive sense for the guys. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts first off, I guess. What kind of difference do you think now Florida having basically three years under Nick Savage in the program can make just in terms of the on-field results next year? I think it's pretty big considering it's it's grueling, man. It, if you see the videos, man, it's not easy stuff. And, you know, you're over here saying like, oh, man, this is even the hard stuff. And I'm over here like, man, I get tired watching these guys work out. Um, so I think at this point you have these guys that are, you know, your upperclassmen at this point that have been through your program more than likely since Dan Mullen and Nick Savage and all these guys arrived. I think now you don't have so much as a – I guess a learning period to where it's like it's even on the field, you know, you have to learn how to do things a certain way. And I think a lot of these guys know how it is. You know, you could even kind of trickle that down to some of these younger guys that are just now getting their first experience in this kind of environment and these, in these crazy workouts. Um, you know, I guess at the point now where you can have the luxury of a younger guy kind of looking over his shoulder and asking someone, Hey, what do we do? What do we expect? What's going on here? Instead of the entire group kind of saying, you know, at, at square one and, and you know, not really knowing what to expect. So I think now it just continues to kind of just continuing the program and continuing what's going on. And, you know, you have the Valentine's Day. They call it, the, I believe, the Massacre, which is their big yeah. workout where they have on <laughs> Valentine's Day. You have mat drills. You have all these things, you know, running through campus, holding onto the rope, you know, where they hold onto the rope and they run around campus or they go up and down and uh, on the bleachers in, in the swamp. There are just things that you know what to expect now, and you can kind of, uh, I guess, coach up some of these guys now. So there's always somewhat of a, you know, even if it's your players that know what to expect, they're coaching in somewhat way. And I think that that's where the good thing of the program is now to where it's not all on Dan Mullen, Nick Savage and these guys. Now you have, you know, even I watched one of the videos that are on YouTube about the leadership committee and things like that. There are just so many things that go on in the off season. And I really have enjoyed watching some of these videos that Florida has put out. Well, that's one of the things that Dan Mullen has been pretty frank about from day one that, you know, this is not going to be something that happens overnight at Florida. You know, they're not just going to suddenly wake up and understand how to be a championship caliber team. And I think like you mentioned, the stuff with the rope pulls and some of these first workouts, you know, going back to Dan Mullen's first season, first offseason, even before he had even coached a game, 
Um, you, you would hear from these guys that, man, this is like the toughest workout we've ever done and all that. And you're not really hearing that quite as much anymore. You know, the guys that are posting on social media, um, I'm not seeing a whole lot of guys. I mean, you know, every here and there you see, oh, man, that workout today with today with Nick Savage was crazy. But you're not seeing the kind of shock, I think, that you, you saw initially, you know, when Nick Savage took over. And I think that's part of what you're saying, that that you have some of these guys getting used to it now that they've gone through two, three off seasons with Nick Savage. And so when you get those guys to that point, they start to push the other guys. And like you said, your leaders end up becoming not just, you know, Dan Mullen coaching you and, and kind of bringing that passion and that energy, not just Nick Savage doing the same thing. But it really comes from some of these veterans who realize, hey, we've won 10 games. We've won 11 games. Uh, it was pretty hard in the offseason to, to put in all the work to get there. But knowing that now, if we put in a little bit more, uh, you know, maybe we can get over the hump. And I think I think you're going to start to see that with Florida this year. Um, one thing I did kind of want to ask you is, um, cause for me, there, there's one area that stands out as I think we're going to really see gains made just in terms of strength and conditioning, um, in terms of position on the field. Um, is there any spot that you think can really, really benefit the most from having now a couple years in the system there? You know, I think it's gotta be the O line, you know, the D line. Mm -hmm. I think whenever you look at Florida, even just the last couple of years or, you know, the games that they lose, I, I feel like they lose them in the trenches. So I think getting those guys, um, you know, especially the game. I mean, look at Zachary Carter. I mean, this was a guy I know he tweeted uh, fairly recently a picture of him when he was on like an unofficial visit at like FSU or something where he's super skinny. You look at him now and he's like a giant ball of muscle. So I think that those gains are really big for Florida in the trenches. Even some of these, you know, younger offensive linemen that they're going to count on now. I think that those are the guys you really want to make those strides. And weirdly, you know, those are the guys that, you know, coming up through high school and, and into, uh, you know, being recruited. Those are the ones that really like that weight room stuff. You know, I, I know Joshua Braun was one that just kind of jumps off the off the top of my mind to just a recent recruit. Really into all the work, uh, you know, the workout things, the weightlifting. So that was a big part of what he looked at in the floor, the nutrition plans. You know, I feel like those are the guys that, you know, kind of have to watch their weight, you know. And so I think that those are the right. ones that really make those gains. Well, I think that's I mean, that's exactly the spot I was going to point to is the offensive line. And I think, you know, when we, we we've talked a little bit on the show about, you know, the spots where Florida really has the biggest question marks going into next year, because we feel like there's a lot of answers at a lot of different spots. And when you look at that offensive line. I think the question marks are just as much personnel related as they are um, experience related where, you know, you've got a lot of experience coming back on the offensive line. But the question is, is it is it good experience? You know, are those guys that um, can really take it to the next level or are they capped physically? And I think for me, some of what you see with those guys is you just see guys that I think are a little bit limited from a physical standpoint when you talk about the returning starters. You know, Stone Stone Forsythe had a good year to me. Um, but he's never going to be a guy that has the quickest feet, you know. So to me, he's more of like a typical right tackle type. Um, John Delance, you know, who played at the right tackle spot last year, uh, he had better feet, but really he kind of got pushed around a lot of times and kind of missed some assignments. And uh, I don't want to use the word soft, but just wasn't quite as physically up to par as he needs to be to handle some of these elite defensive ends. And so when you talk about strength and conditioning and where, you know, where this program is at kind of going into year three under Nick Savage, that's where I look at it and start to say, okay, guys like Ethan White, now that he's had a full year in the system, starts to put in that second year with Nick Savage. Is he a guy that, even though he doesn't have a ton of experience, can step in there and be better than some of these other guys, be more productive, allow you to shift guys around uh, to cover up some of these weak spots that Florida has? Same with a Richard Garage. Is he at the point now going into year three for him where he's had two years of strength and conditioning? Can he be ready to take that left tackle spot? where you can move a stone four side to the right. I think for me, when you look at that offensive line, 
Um, and, and maybe you see it differently. I, I see it as being a, a talent ceiling issue with the guys that are returning as starters. And I think for Florida to really get better, not only are they going to have to um, you know, get better at communicating and all that, but I think you're going to have to have guys that are more physically capable, ready to step into those spots. I would absolutely agree with that, and I think you could see that through just the recruiting this past cycle. I think that the linemen that you're mentioning and you're talking about through what you're looking for, I think that's exactly what Florida brought in. So I think that for some some extent, I think that they did a good job mixing those guys in, and I think that those are the ones where you start to kind of see that, you know, make, they make those big excelling gains to where, you know, at this point, you kind of have an idea somewhat, at least on some of these guys on Florida's offensive line, you know what to expect. You know that most likely – what you see is what you get. I, I think from from seeing Stone Forsythe, from seeing John Delance, I, I think what we see is what we've gotten from that. I, I don't know that there's any big changes or any big surprises they can make. Now, some of these younger offensive linemen they recruited in 2019, you know, Michael Tarquin, uh, Will Harrod, you know, these were guys that were going to need to reshape their body. Harrod was one that needed to lose a little weight. Uh, Tarquin was one that I thought that needed to gain a little weight. And then obviously Ethan White is one that needed to do just kind of a little bit of both, you know, just molding the, you right. know, kind of the doughboy body with, you know, some muscle and kind of cut things down so I think that those guys are ones that still kind of the jury's left to be seen just because we haven't seen a lot there but I think for some of these upperclassmen I think we kind of have an idea of what to expect there um you know and I think that the 2020 guys that they already have a couple of those guys on campus I think those are the ones where I'm interested to see just a little bit of gains they can make from this short period leading before spring football you know just for me have seen these guys through high school ranks I'm interested to you know maybe pop out to a spring practice at Florida and see what little maybe little or a lot of gains they've made in just the quick time they have had with Savage well that's the that's the thing I'm kind of getting to where I talk about you know the, the the talent ceiling not being as high on some of these other guys you know some of these veterans that Florida recruited really under the Jim McElwain era is, you know, they were lower rated guys. And a lot of times that correlates to physical ability. And I look at, you know, like you said, you know, the guys that Florida already has on campus, you know, an Isaiah Walker Jr., a Joshua Braun, um, you know, even a Richard Leonard. A lot of these guys to me move a lot better, um, you know, just just in general and have the frame to really be those kind of maulers that John Hevesy likes. Uh, Blake, is there anybody in that in that 2020 2020 class before we kind of shift gears a little bit on this topic that you really are interested in seeing from an offensive line standpoint who maybe could contribute early a la in Ethan White last year. Man, I know I keep harping on it, but I just think Joshua Braun is going to be a guy that is going to He's going to buy into the weight room just because, like I said, he's big into that. He's big interested in the nutritional part of things. I think that he's one that I'm really interested to see how he goes through, you know, <clears throat> not even just the little bit that they get before spring, but even what they get into the, you know, the summer workouts. I'm interested to see what he looks like in the fall because I think I just – I think he's going to be a guy that jumps in at that right tackle spot where John DeLance was really limited. And I think that if there's a young guy, I think he's the one that jumps out there. Because I think I, I totally agree with you where you look at a Richard Garage. I think he's one where you need to start looking at, you know, maybe a left tackle there. I don't know that, it, you know, looking at left tackle, I think Isaiah Walker Jr. is, is more of a prototypical left tackle. He's long mm -hmm. and lanky. He's athletic. So I don't know that he's going to be necessarily needed to be thrown into the fire very early. Um, but I think Joshua Braun is more of your typical right tackle type. So I think that he's going to be one that does compete against John DeLance at that right tackle spot. Or maybe even throw him in to get his feet wet and guard. Or, you know, a lot That's is left to be gonna, seen. I was going to ask you. Do you think he can play a guard? Because a lot of times these coaches, like, uh, you know, for example, Garage was a guy that the, this Florida staff doesn't like throwing guys that they expect to be future tackles out there right away at tackle as young players because they don't want them isolated in terms of communication. And, like, that was the reason that Florida kept Garage inside last year as opposed to playing tackle. And I think you'll see that. I think 
they're going to shift that this spring. Um, but could you see Braun potentially getting involved inside at guard, you know, maybe in his first year or two before shifting out to tackle? Definitely. I think just the power he has, I think, is what's going to allow him to do that. So, you know, I think in his future, more than likely is it tackle. But I think with a guy like that, if you need to throw him in somewhere, if it's not at tackle, I think it's going to be guard. And it's not necessarily, oh, he's not good enough to play tackle. I think it's just because they think that highly of him and they want to get him that involved. And if it's a guy that's, you know, not pulling their weight in a certain spot, I think he's going to be one that you could see in and swing and, and make a, uh, an impact there. And I think that even Ethan White is another guy you could do with that, too. Um, you know, I I don't know that he's quite ready for tackle yet. I know that that's what he's played, um, but I think you could use him as maybe even a center, as a, as a guard. I think he's one of those guys that more so is an interior kind of utility knife kind of guy to where, you know, Brett Heggie is a guy that's been injured. You know, uh, you know is, is Kingley, Kingsley Agekiwan not going to be ready to play center? So I think that even, you know, they have a lot of those guys that you can kind of move around, even if it's going to be a tackle guard combo, a center guard combo. So I, I do like the versatility there. Blake, I want to shift gears a little bit on this kind of strength and conditioning topic that we're we're talking through as you know spring ball is getting closer. Uh, big news in the SEC: Alabama director of strength and conditioning Scott Cochran was hired by Georgia to be their special teams coordinator. So kind of a weird move there. My first reaction was, "Wow, that's a that's a big loss for Bama." But then I started looking at it, and I was like, "Wait, he's not going to be the strength and conditioning coach at Georgia, which means okay, he's not allowed to work with the strength and conditioning program in the off season because now he's an on field coach." Um, what was your uh, just first off? What was your reaction to that news? It was it was shocking to me just because when you look at those Bama coaches, I, I if I'm mistaken, correct me, but I'm pretty sure Scott Cochran has been there, if not the the majority of mm-hmm. Saban's tenure there yeah. in Tuscaloosa. So I think it's one of those things where you start seeing some of these Bama lifer type of guys maybe moving on somewhere else. Um, I don't think you can fault a guy who wants to be a, eventually mo- uh, an on-field kind of coach, you know, moving from the strength and conditioning. But I do think it's a little strange in the fact that this is one of the guys who's noted as a top top tier type of you know strength and conditioning guy. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, part of me thinks that maybe Kirby, you know, if I can't get him into be my strength guy, I'm at least going to take him away from saving. So yeah. I, I don't know if that's you know any ill intentions there. But man, I mean, it, it he's living in 2030 thinking way too many steps ahead of us right now yeah playing 40 chess or something uh, uh you know i don't we'll see how it works out i mean scott cochran's never been an on-field coach so not that you need your special teams guy to be you know lights out as a as an assistant but um it's a totally radical change i mean it's a guy that hasn't really been super involved in recruiting you would think as a strength and conditioning guy um so kind of a an odd move i would say for me but i think from florida standpoint Alabama, you know, losing a good strength coach can only help Florida because that's a team you might see in Atlanta. And um, for me, tangibly, I don't, I don't see that having all that much impact for Georgia, personally. I don't either. I mean, is he going to make them kick field goals better? I mean, oh, oh well. <laughs> Maybe he's got the fake punt, punt, fake punt calls dialed up. Maybe that's what Kirby was looking for. I guess so. <laughs> it was strange just in the fact that when I saw it at first, I just thought, no-brainer. Oh, man. Kirby stole, you know, the strength conditioning coach, and now he's going to be the strength and conditioning coach at Georgia. And then you look more into, it and it's like, wait, wait, on the field coach? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why that's why I brought it up is because, like, you, you know, with Nick Savage, I think at this point, Florida fans are pretty thrilled with the the results they've seen, and there haven't been many teams that have really pushed Florida around. I mean, Georgia would be maybe you know the one team, and I think that's more you know talent based than anything. That just they they've got better players right now uh, in some of these key spots. You know, their offensive line last year was obviously really really good. So. Uh, you know, when you see Bama losing a guy like that, you think, okay, all right, Florida's got one of the better strength and conditioning coaches in the league now. And, you know, going into year three, like we talked about, I think I think that can make a big difference. But, um, 
Blake, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about Zachary Evans, who uh, we had mentioned him a little bit on the last podcast, but we've got more news coming up for you guys on the other side of this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with my coworker, Blake Alderman. Blake, I want to get right into it. Five-star running back, Zach Evans. Is he still a five-star? Yes. Composite, yes. Okay. I knew there was some shifting around late in the process there. I wanted to be sure. So composite five-star running back, Zachary Evans, uh, basically down to three schools is the last I've heard. And uh, Blake, we had talked a little bit on the last podcast about Florida potentially trying to get him on campus for a visit. What's the latest on that? Yeah, that visit has actually been set. Uh, Florida is going to host him on the weekend of March 20th. it's his final official visit. He's taken all five. Um, obviously, at this point, all five of those schools aren't in play anymore. I think that the three, maybe four, if you want to say it, teams to watch are probably Ole Miss, Tennessee, and that maybe would be Texas A&M. And I say maybe just because they've been off and on in the recruitment here. I think if if all things played out to the point where they could land Zach Evans, I think they'd take him in a heartbeat. They were planning on taking as many running backs as they can because they need help there. Obviously, he's an in-state guy. Jimbo Fisher is very competitive in recruiting, so I very, very, very doubt the fact that I could see Jimbo telling him no if he wanted to come to to Texas A&M. That being said, I feel like we've gone so far from there and it's been so far away from that that if he was going to go to Texas A&M, I think he would have already. So I, I feel like now where you've got this last visit to Florida – and just from kind of checking around with people that I speak with and, you know, people close to the program that I, you know, people that I deal with that on Texas, um, it seems like all things considered, there's a lot of confidence in Florida's chances here. And I say that and he has to get on campus first, but obviously we've got a visit date set, but there's a lot of things to like about where Florida can fit in here. They obviously need a running back. Um, when you look at their depth chart and you're a five-star guy who's, you know, the number two running back on the 24-7 sports composite, I mean, we're talking a number 16 type player here. I don't think that he's at the point now where he's really, you know, watching the depth chart, um, you know, anything crazy like that. You know, and I think even if he was, I think it does set up well for Florida. See, for here's sure. the thing, though. He's very close with 
Tim Brewster, who is added, or has not been officially added to Florida staff yet, but he's been hired. He's been recruiting for Florida. Um, he has really strong ties to him, dating back to whenever Evans, or excuse me, um, to when Brewster was at Texas A&M on staff there, which I think was like Evans' freshman or sophomore year, something like that. So, you know, they've kept in touch, but when Brewster was at UNC. I just don't think that that was really a school that was really ever linked to Evans. He, you know, was looking at some of these SEC type schools, but now we've got Tim Brewster in Gainesville. You know, he's at an SEC type school, and they have a great relationship. They speak a lot, but it's not just Brewster that's doing all the recruiting for Evans. I mean, we've got Brian Johnson, who's got a lot of ties in Houston from being the OC at Houston whenever he was there. Um, you've got Greg Knox, the running backs coach, who's been in touch quite a bit as well. Even some off the field guys. You know, John Heron is another. Um, you know, in the recruiting office for Florida, J- uh, Jamar Cheney is another guy in the recruiting office for Florida. So, I mean, it's it's a committee recruiting that Florida's been doing here. Um, so, I, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself, but man, I've already put in a 24-7 sports crystal ball for Florida, so I think I'm all in here. I feel like if this visit happens, I think that this gets done, not necessarily on the visit, but I think in general, I, I think that there's a lot of sense to make that Florida could very well be the pick for Zach Evans. Uh, like I said, not necessarily on the visit, because here's the thing, he's already signed an LOI once uh, with Georgia whenever he was playing to sign during the December signing period. He was released from that letter of intent, so he while he was released from that letter of intent from Georgia, he's not allowed to sign another one. So basically, you're going to have to sign this guy to a you know a financial aid agreement paper, which isn't technically binding to the school. So I mean, it, it, he could still slip out and go somewhere else. Um, but I, I think more than likely, what you're going to see, even if he does make some sort of decision before that, you know, there's been nothing said. I can't really speak on that or anything to there. But I, I feel like this is a guy that's just going to enroll somewhere, and he's planning to enroll somewhere in summer A, which it, for Florida would be early-ish May. I believe it's the 13th from the last time I looked at the dates there. So I, I think at this point, you're going to get that last official visit if you're Florida, um, and you're going to be you're going to get the last say, and you have a lot of confidence there, and you really don't have to wait much longer after that to get him on campus in summer A. So. There's a lot to be seen of what's going to happen here. We have to see how this visit goes first, but I really do think there are a lot of things heavily playing in Florida's favor heading into this visit. Well, like we've talked about on previous podcasts, I'm not totally sold on Florida's running back room right now. You know, I think Damian Pierce is is a really productive guy and will be a great SEC back. But beyond him, I have question marks. And so I think you add a guy with the talent of Zachary Evans. You know, red flags aside, Florida's developed a pretty good culture off the field. Uh, under Dan Mullen so far, and you get him in the right, you know, the right system, the right kind of guidance around him, that kind of talent could really pay dividends down the road. Blake, uh, another speaking of another really talented guy, I know four-star tight end, Greg Gage Wilcox is uh, approaching a commitment soon here. What's uh, Can you give us the latest on him? Yeah, he's going to be making his commitment on this coming Friday, um, which I believe is the 28th. Yes. 28th he'll be doing that at 6 p.m that's eastern time for anyone who's listening to this podcast that's not on the east coast um finalist alabama florida and georgia i have had a 24 7 sports crystal ball predicted since uh, i think around this time last year um i think florida's done a great job in this recruitment even when larry scott was the head coach or excuse me not the head coach the tight ends coach in florida he's now the head coach at howard um i think he's done a great job there you know i I thought florida was going to get this done for quite a while whenever larry scott did make a departure you know, he was their Tampa area recruiter. He's their tight ends coach. I think there was some question marks there whenever you've got a guy that I think has been leading to you for most of the process. But he's also been very interested in Georgia. He's been very interested in Alabama. You know, those are schools when you have some blood in the water, you know, a coach goes, man, they're pouncing. So, uh, you know, I was kind of waiting to see where things are there. But Tim Brewster has really come in here and he's done a great job recruiting him. Um, they, they really did hit it off very well. And I think it was a, not a hard sell for Brewster 
to sell a guy who's already been very interested in Florida, very interested in how they've used Kyle Pitts, very interested in how they've used the tight end position overall. So I think that, you know, here we go. You know, Brewster, we've called him a closer on the recruiting trail, and I think that this is going to be his first one that he closes down. Um, I do expect Florida to be the prediction there on Friday. I'm not planning on changing my crystal ball prediction. So we'll we'll see how things fare out for Florida there, but I think that this is going to be Brewster's first edition since joining Florida staff. Shameless plug, grab a beer Friday night, go to swamp247.com, and Blake will have you covered with all the latest on Gage Wilcox. <laughs> there we go. All right, Blake, uh, who are some other guys? I know it's, it's still pretty early in the 2021 recruiting class, but we are coming up on some key, uh, some key things here in the next few weeks. Who are some other guys that Florida fans should be paying attention to this spring? Yeah, you know, I, I think this is the type of the period where you see these guys start to get on campus. Um, you know, I don't know that any of these guys are necessarily going to be jumping in any type of decision, but I think that some guys that are leaning Florida's way right now, um, just to kind of run down the list of a couple guys, four-star defensive end Bryce Langston. He's a former Florida commit. He's from Ocala Vanguard. Florida's done a good job prioritizing guys in Ocala and those local areas. So I, I think Florida's still the leader there. Um, I think if I had to pick another team to watch, I think it's LSU. He's already been committed to Florida once. Him making another commitment again, I don't know that I could give you a solid timeline there. But I feel like this is more of a matter of you know when and not if it's going to be Florida. Right. Um, I really like where they sit there. Another guy, Amari Harvey, he's a four-star safety out of Tallahassee. Florida's, have, Florida's hosted him on campus several times. But I feel like that last visit he took for the junior day um, on February 1st, Really got the ball rolling for Florida's favor. And this is a guy who's got family ties to Florida State. He lives in Florida State territory, probably. I was going to say, that's a guy the Seminoles were. One of Florida State's top guys in their class, you know, regardless of position. And this is one that I think, coming off that visit to Florida, Florida's the new leader. I I don't know that I can necessarily call him a slam dunk to commit on this March 7th uh, return to a junior day, but you got a guy who's coming back, you know, just over a month ago. You know, what else do you need to see at this point? You know, family really liked it there. I, you know, he's, he's named top sevens and he's doing things like that. So that's what kind of makes me wonder, could he leave that March 7th visit uncommitted? But I just feel like things are really rolling Florida's favor here. And I really like the chances that they have. Um, I, I would, I'm going to put him and I'm going to keep him on commit watch when he shows up on the seventh. Um, I, I really like where Florida's put there. Um, another guy that is set a commitment date for August 1st. I don't know that he's going to waver on that. I, I think he's going to set with that on August 1st is Tuna Miche. Adiele. He's a four-star defensive end out of IMG Academy. Uh, made the move from Texas. Uh, since he was there, he's been on campus February 1st, Junior Day. Um, he's coming back on March 7th, Junior Day. He's mentioned possibly coming back for Florida Spring Game in April and then coming back for Friday Night Lights in, in late July, which is right before that August 1st commitment. I like Florida's chances if he's going to make all those visits there. You know, I think that if you're going to continue to get him there, I think the other school that I would say to watch right now is probably Ohio State. Will any other schools emerge from there because he's talking about taking official visits? And, you know, I mean, he's doing his due diligence in his recruitment. But I I think that Florida is really starting to trend upward pretty quickly there with just the fact they've got him on campus so many times. Um, He's a guy who's gone to these off-season camps. He's chomping in the cameras. You know, he's he's very pro-Florida. And I I think that if he can mesh with those visits there that he's planning to take, I I could see him – if he's going to tell me that he's going to for sure going to take all those visits just because I haven't confirmed that with him himself, um, he's mentioned it, I, you know, I, I have to circle back and see if that's still his plan. But, I mean, if he can tell me again that those visits are more than likely going to be taken, I, I could get in behind putting a crystal ball for him leading up to that commitment in August. Um, you know, a couple other guys just kind of scrolling the list here. Um, I think uh, Savion Collins is another guy to keep an eye on. He's been committed to Miami for quite some time. 
he's been flirting with Florida, but he's remained committed to Miami. I think the thing there is to get mom behind Florida. Um, if they can do that, I, I have a flip prediction for the 24-7 sports crystal ball. The farther we get out and we hold things out in that commitment, if it goes into the spring, maybe in the summer, I think my confidence is going to drop there. Um, Desmond Watson is another defensive lineman there that I think that Florida's in great shape for. Not one that I know that necessarily has a timeline of when he's going to commit, but I think Florida's the leader there just from speaking with people close to his high school and people close to Florida's program. Um, a lot of people like where Florida sits there. Uh, if he shows up on campus a couple times this offseason, I don't know that he's going to make it to the fall uncommitted. So, you know, those are a couple guys right now just off the top of my head that I think are really sitting well for Florida. But this spring, they're going to get a lot of these guys on campus for junior days, spring practices and whatnot. And it's going to stretch in the summer. So it's going to be a busy spring for Florida. But I think those are some guys to watch potentially this spring or summer. Awesome. I know it's hard sometimes to uh, keep up with all the names on a podcast format. So you guys, uh, as always, you know, Blake does a tremendous job on Swamp247.com, tracking all these visits, uh, writing updates as guys come through, updating you on, you know, where Florida feels like it stands for these guys. So make sure you visit the site over the next couple of weeks. You know, Blake does a tremendous job kind of laying out the framework for the class. I have one more that I thought up actually too. It's a guy who's go. committed elsewhere. Um, told you, man, I was scrolling. I was scrolling too slow. Uh, Penn State tight end commit Nick Elsnix. Um, I think he's one to watch. He visited for the junior day in February. Um, obviously, that was I think the night of or something when Larry Scott was mentioned as the Howard head coach. Right. So that was a bit of a blow. But I think another guy that Brewster has come in and he's done a good job with. He's really kind of sold the family there. I think that the fact that Florida is close to home compared to Penn State is going to be something that does become a bigger factor in this recruitment. Um, how long he waits out on things and you know obviously the longer he waits the more that you know twists and turns can happen but Florida really likes his frame I think he's a guy that's you know your true six 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 five type of long tight end um, and he's going to continue to fill out so he's another one too all right guys well that's going to do it for us today I've got uh, got a run of this LSU basketball game tonight obviously a big game for Florida so we'll all be tuned into that uh, we'll probably end up talking a little bit of basketball in the next episode just looking at it here you know Florida's got four games left to play this season most likely in the NCAA tournament, everybody right now in terms of prognosticators seems to feel pretty comfortable with that. But look, if you, uh, you know, if you drop the ball here and lose all four games, things get dicey in a hurry. So we'll have a much better idea, I think, next week. You know, if Florida can come in and get this win against LSU at home tonight and then maybe go on the road and beat Tennessee. I think you'll feel pretty confident going into the NCAA tournament that Florida will be in it. But we will probably talk about that a little bit next episode until then guys we appreciate you tuning in uh be sure to drop us a like subscribe if you haven't yet already and we'll be back next wednesday with another edition of the swamp 24 7 podcast Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it 
in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.